Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Near and Queer to My Heart. I'm your host, Amanda G., always excited to be here man in the last two weeks since we've last talked so much has happened i just i I guess i just want to talk right now about just how inspired i am by everything around me like i'm in such a good space where everything i do everything i see is just inspiring yesterday i went with my girlfriend and a friend who's in town in new orleans uh to the new orleans museum of art uh they have an exhibit there called a queen within and it's got all this wonderful beautiful fashion i'll post some pictures it's just it's a it's an amazing amazing exhibit and it focuses on a queen within what it what it means to be a fucking queen there's a uh, seven archetypes of a queen mother earth sage magician enchantress explorer heroine and thespian i mean there's just there, there's a part of that in, in all of us and i identified with so much of it and and i just left there in a good fucking mood you know and it almost made me want to go shopping not quite <laughs> not quite there but uh was pretty close pretty close to being uh like maybe i should uh branch out from jeans and a t-shirt that's how inspiring it was. But it's been good. And then so I did that yesterday afternoon, uh, went out, did a, a show at House of Blues in the French Quarter, did a comedy show, and then headed over to the uh, Miss Gay pageant at the Oz. And that was also amazing and inspiring. These beautiful, beautiful queens just doing their dances and, and their gowns and their makeup and everything's on point and it's amazing. And uh, last year's reigning champion, I guess we'll call it, I, I don't know, the last year's winner, I'm not good at pageant shit. Come on. Like I said, jeans and t-shirt here. But they're amazing. And uh, last year's pageant winner, Lana O'Day, came and she did a couple of performances. And in the middle, she just she talked and opened up. And without any sort of prompting, was just saying, you know, that she has depression and anxiety. And that drag is what really pushes her through. And drag is what, you know, gets her up in the, in the day and makes her want to do things. And I just found that so inspiring. Because some days, yeah, you don't feel like getting on stage. And sometimes it's not even stage. Sometimes you don't feel like talking to people, like going to work, ordering a coffee, you know, that could just be too much. And just knowing that somebody who's out there on a stage performing, doing drag, they, they've put their makeup and their wig and their hair, or they're doing stand-up and they're, it's just them in jeans and a t-shirt doing stand-up, but they're putting themselves out there and that it's not as easy as it looks. And to know that they're going through the same process that you might be going through with and identifying. And I just think it's so important. The only thing I didn't get, though, is the gay pageant had no swearing, and I don't know why that's the rules, because fuck that. (laughs) There ended up being, I mean, you can't have drag queens and not say, bitch, like, it just, it can't happen, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen, but don't, don't tell the officials. I swear it did happen. Uh, We do have some good news around here at Near and Queer to My Heart, though. We have a sponsor. 
we have a real sponsor. I don't know if uh, y'all have listened to the uh, last 11 episodes that we've had, but at the end of every episode, when we do our thank yous, we made up sponsors because we were like, fuck it. We don't have any sponsors. We're just going to make this shit up. But then some real sponsor approached us and we were so excited. We were so excited. Also, you know, I got to use their product and their product's amazing. And I do stand behind it because I also was worried, you know, you start thinking you're doing this podcast and you're like, well, what if this and what if this and, you know, what if you get a sponsor, but it's, you know, some shit you don't want. You know, like, what if Pepsi wants to sponsor me, but I'm a Coke girl? Like, what do I do? I'm not either don't, you know, Pepsi, you're welcome to sponsor us. But just an example, like, what, you know, what do you do? You, you'd love to have a sponsor, but you got to stand behind that shit. And I'll tell you, I do stand behind this. Uh, Studio Headphones. It's S-U-D-I-O Headphones. And they sent us, they let me pick out the ones I wanted. I picked out the Regent. It's their premium on-ear model. They have impeccable clarity in the instrumental tones and well-balanced sound. 24 plus hours of active battery life. They're Bluetooth or you, or you have a plug, you can plug them right in and they're perfect for podcast recording i use them in the the episode coming up so they're fucking for real Uh, i love it they're easy to use i have i have other headphones i won't say the company of headphones but they for some reason there's a piece when i open up the headphones and put them on it that my hair gets caught in it and so when i you know i love to have the big head my big thing with big headphones in the region are those big you know nice headphones which i love I love because I, I do this is what I do. You don't have to do this. This is a personal thing I do. When I get on a plane, regardless of if I have music in, I have fucking headphones on. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me to hold your kid. I don't know why a lot of people, I'm, they always want me to hold their kids. And I'm not interested in that. But if I have the noise-canceling headphones, if you have the little headphones, the earbuds, people don't always get the message. And there's always that guy that wants to tell you about all his great accomplishments and, you know, gets really disappointed when you mention your girlfriend or gets really excited when you mention your girlfriend. Either way, none of those conversations are interesting to me. So whenever I'm on an airplane, I have headphones on regardless of the sound coming out of them. And these ones don't don't take my hair out. My other ones definitely have a, come home with a, a few pieces of hair missing so these ones are amazing the sound is fucking clear the bluetooth thing is awesome too because who wants to deal with wires it's great and this company they're they're an amazing company they're uh they're worldwide they do free shipping worldwide and their goal they want to revolutionize the way that people see headphones it's not just a tech device but an accessory so the headphone market now can offer you one of two things style or tech and they're like fuck it we're gonna do both they actually hooked us up with a discount the discount is near and queer, which will give you 15% off. Um, I'll post a link directly for the, the discount on our website, on our Facebook. We don't have a website. On our Facebook page and uh, Instagram. If you're not following us on Facebook or Instagram, it's near and queer to my heart. Facebook, Instagram. We might get a Twitter going because I do love to talk some shit on Twitter. But yeah, and it's studio.com. S-U-D-I-O.com. So check it out. I'm just, I'm so inspired right now. Everything's so inspiring. I just love when the universe lines up, you know, and the interview that we're doing, also the universe has lined up for it. This guy, I mean, he's the reason that I got into everything that I ended up getting into. I was doing stand-up already, and I had always considered, you know, trying to, to host a show. I'd hosted an open mic at one point that crashed and burned quite mis- <laughs> quite miserably, but I had a great time doing it, and I'd been kind of looking for something else. And then Michael Folk, who you'll hear more about in a, in a little bit, came to New Orleans uh, with his show, Greetings from Queer Mountain, which we've talked about before. Uh, it's a queer storytelling show, and he ran it in Austin at the time, and I just was 
amazed with it. And they did it in New Orleans, and I'm like, I need to be a part of this so badly. And it just kind of happened, you know? And it was so fortuitous that he came into my life. And he's just been everywhere he goes. He's in New York now. He got greetings from Queer Mountain going in New York. Also, Queer Film Theory 101, another show he does. He's moving to the Bay Area soon. He's going to start doing the same thing. I mean, he's just, he's out there doing his thing, and I and I love it. And I just love hearing more about him. So hopefully you'll enjoy, you know, talking with Michael, too. So let's get to it. Here's Michael Folk. How are you doing? Hi, <laughs> I'm good. I'm I'm recording this from my bed, and I don't know if there's a better way to be. I'm so comfortable right now. Yeah, we're doing a early morning. Woke up Saturday morning. I uh, got my coffee early, and you know this is kind of relaxing. Actually, I usually do them after work, or uh, you know, some. I was at a couple festivals. I was doing them in between shows at festivals, which was a lot, a little stressful, you know, to time that. But I have all day. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, this is nice because well, I I normally move my mic to like a more. I guess professional area to record where I'm like I'm sitting at a desk but then today I realized that my my windowsill near my bed has like a lip on it that's like perfect for attaching the mic to and I was like I am going to record this shit from my bed I'm gonna be like in a comfy bed with a blanket it's it's very nice well I wanted to talk a bit about how Greetings from Queer Mountain started and then how did you get the name for that sure I mean, I think most of the things in it were sort of collaborative. The reason why it started was because Ralphie and I wanted to book a queer stand-up show, and we were having some trouble because it just felt like we could maybe book one lineup, but there weren't enough queer stand-ups that we knew about for us to continue booking it. And so we were like, that doesn't work. If we want to run a queer show, we have to expand what the queer show can be. And so that's when we turned it into like sort of a themed storytelling show. And the name, I I think that that was me. I'm obsessed with naming things, like from like improv troops to podcasts to shows, like... I think about I, I think about it so much and Greetings from Queer Mountain was actually a really natural one for like something that would get across that it was que- a queer show but it wasn't going to be like queer queer comedy silly showcase like I wanted something that was able to be sort of like tell you what the show was but also have a little like it's a little fancy it's like if it's like a, it has a little zhuzh to it yeah, no, I like it. We just call it Queer Mountain or QM, and like, it's kind of got that, that ring to it. But yeah, no, I, I love it. Like, next time I get a pet, I'm going to have you name it. <laughs> well, you know, do you know about my my uh, my game? Speaking, speaking of pet names, this is so important, and you can do this in New Orleans. You can do it really in any city that you walk around more than you drive. But um, every time you see a dog out on the street with... It's mo- it's meant to be played with a partner, right? With a friend or somebody. But every time you see a dog in the street, give it a first and a last name. And then whoever you're with has to say what their job is. And it's so fun. Just every time you see a dog, just be like, that is Charlotte McGillicuddy. And she is a nail technician. And like every, and like you can't be wrong. It's like, it's so improv gamey, but it makes walking around New York so fun. <laughs> What's your favorite one that you've discovered? Oh, no. There's so many good ones. Well, I'm partial to, like, really chunky, short last names for dogs. So, like, 
Catherine Strunk, and you know she makes uh, she makes rocket ship parts, and I don't know. They're just it's it, it's very silly. <laughs> if, if you could find a way, to, I mean, I guess people write poetry on the street, so maybe you could offer that service for them. Bring it to the people, Michael. I know. I I need to make I need to make uh, I need a side hustle. That that'd be a good one. Growing up, and it's a job that because the digital media doesn't exist anymore. My dream job was um, if somebody had an album that was coming out, was I got to pick the order of the songs. Ooh. And I was always like, even in my head when I was practicing this, like as a kid, I'd be like, oh, this this song order is so wrong. And here's what I would do. I would feel like it was this high stress job. Somebody like above me was was yelling at me like, no, 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 that's all wrong. And you've messed it up for everybody. And it's their experience forever. But I thought that was such an important thing. Like the way an album had songs from beginning to end, I thought that, you know, had some sort of meaning. And now everything's digital and people are like, what's an album? And these kids are like, CDs, those are stupid. <laughs> I know, I'm sure someone still kind of has that job. I love that in your fantasy, your job was hard. Like in your fantasy, someone was, you're, you're, you had a mean boss. And <laughs> yeah. I'm always the hardest on myself, even like even in my dreams, I'll have these weird things like that that happen. And I'm like, what? This is my this is my dream. I should be taking the lead on this. That seems like something that that's like something to unpack in therapy is like you you create mean bosses for yourself. <laughs> I know. And I'm not even the boss in this. Like, this, my, like, what's your dream job? Your dream job could be anything. In my dream job, I had a boss that was tough. <laughs> that's very funny so when i met you i want to say it was three or four years ago you were you were living in austin you're in new york now right i am currently in new york yes and you're gonna be in san francisco soon i yeah i'm moving to oakland the oakland area um in like july or august how did you get to Austin? When did you get to Austin? I grew up in Austin, or just outside of Austin. Like, whenever I first, when me and my mom first moved there, and I was like three, maybe. Um, we lived in Pflugerville with my grandparents, and then I went to school in Round Rock, which is, it's just like a suburb of austin but um it's just like it's like 15 minutes outside of like austin proper and so where we went all the time was to austin but i grew up in like a little bit more neighborhoody area and i just lived there with my mom and went to school and did all of that and then the the austin area is interesting because it has so many things that make you want to stay there that every time you think about leaving or moving you're like, well, it's affordable. It has cool city stuff. Um, it's relatively progressive. It has really good food. And so I was like, kind of able to like just operate out of there for a long time. But eventually I got to the point where I was like, I need to live somewhere else at some point. Yeah, no, I think Austin's is beautiful. Are you an outdoors person? Because every time I go there, I am forced to kayak. <laughs> I am outdoorsy. I've never been much of a sports person, but I love being in the woods or on a little boat, or like swimming. Really, really my main outdoorsiness is swimming. I could swim every single day for my entire life and like not be annoyed. The last time I was there, I went to Barton Springs. I'm sure you've been there like a million times. It was so cold. It's very cold. <laughs> I'm such a baby with outdoor stuff. I'm like, it's cold. There's bugs. I, eh, there's a hill. Like, I'm. it's too much. It's too much. Well, yeah, but... There's so many, the bugs in New Orleans are so much more intense. Yeah, I hate them. I hate them. I don't go out. I don't even go on my patio. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like it. I mean, I get it. I also love being inside, but there's something like the thing that New York definitely lacks is like when you try to go outside, you got to go outside the city or if you want to get away from like the street, you go outside the city or you can like kind of go to Prospect Park or uh, Grant uh, or Central Park. But it's anytime it's nice outside, those are just packed with so many tourists. So you're not really like getting any sort of like alone nature time. I feel like because I, I lived in New York from oh, 2005 to 2008, and I there were some things like I sometimes love just being around. Like if I was alone and I was walking in a crowd, I just didn't feel alone. But what I hated too, there's a few places I dis- I thought I discovered is like, oh, this park is like a park that nobody goes to, and then within six months, everybody's going there. I remember one park I really liked; they got Wi-Fi in the park, and then it was over. <laughs> Why do you need Wi-Fi in the park? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I didn't need it, but everyone else, then they were coming to that. And especially in like, I think that was like 06. That was when not every place had Wi-Fi. That's when Starbucks still, you know, didn't have Wi-Fi. So like people would go to Starbucks, get their coffee and then go to my park. (laughs) That's so weird. I I mean, I guess I'm definitely I'm definitely on my phone all over the place, but it's weird to imagine I'm going to go to this park and then I don't know, maybe that's nice. Like I'm going to get some work done, but I don't know. I, I go a little. Whenever I go to the park, I go a little bit more analog, and I and I bring a, a paper book. I know that's very archaic of me, but I love paper books. I'm still not. I'm still not ready to let them go. Uh, I'm reading such a good series right now. It's the uh, the Inheritance trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, it's like fantasy, but like with like sexy polyamorous gods and like like young women of color who have to like stand up and save their people. It's really good. Oh, that sounds awesome. I need more book recommendations. I get all I get is podcast recommendations these days, which I appreciate because I'm I'm a, currently obsessed with my favorite murder, um which you know, now that I discovered it 117 episodes in, I have like that's all I need and I'm not going to read books now. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, do you get are you have we talked about this before? Are you comic book nerdy at all? A little bit. My favorite podcast on the face of the earth is Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. And it's this podcast with this, uh, they, at, at the beginning of the podcast, they were a couple and they were both queer, but now they've separated and one of the people in the couple transitioned, but they still do the podcast together and they just go through the entire X-Men history and just talk about it with like sort of like a queer progressive perspective on what was happening culturally at the time and what's happening in the issues of the comic books. And it's so good. They're like really funny and it's really, it's really silly and weird. I I, I recommend it to everybody. You know, that, that's interesting because X-Men does have like a lot of historical shit that they, you know, like Wolverine and the d- different wars that are happening. And so that'd be, you know, cool to see someone who, and I like, I appreciate too, a lot of podcasts are well-researched so I can listen to an hour podcast and somebody's done 10 hours of research and it's nice to just have that, you know, accessible. Absolutely. This one, it basically is like you, it's like, you get all of the plot elements of what's happening. So like I've definitely used it to like, as like you can, there's a lot of issues they talk about that I have not read that I understand the plots of them now without having read them. And so it's like, you don't have to be a massive fan of the comic book series to have fun with the podcast, but I digress. Yeah, no, no, but sometimes things get, like, like, too nerdy, you know, and I can do that, too. There's certain things that I'm obsessed with that I will 
get down to, you know, this episode and this minute this happens and, oh, this character really meant this because I know this because I read this art, you know, you can go down that rabbit hole. But then for somebody who's never seen it, you're not going to get them to watch it or to listen to it or to absorb, you know, or to read it if you're just nerding out on it. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying. So I'm just going to wait for you to stop, essentially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not like that at all, which is great. Like, they really do a good job of, like, talking you through every aspect of it. And so it's, like, easy to understand. But anywho, <laughs> now it's just become like a recommendation episode. <laughs> Were you a theater kid in high school? Absolutely. High? I was such a theater kid. Is that where did you always want to perform or was it like you got to high school and they had a tryout and you were like, I should do this? I think that since I was little, like I've always been performing in some way. I mean, you can make make the sort of like performing little boyness, performing like performing what I thought a little boy was supposed to be performing heterosexuality. But then more so. I was an only child with a single mom and there was a lot of adults around all the time. So the way that I made my presence feel necessary to me was by entertaining the people around me. So I was definitely like sort of that precocious, like, did he just say that little kid? I try to be cute and silly and funny and like kind of sassy. Um, and so it was always just kind of part of what was happening for me. And then whenever I got to middle school, I was really into theater and I lived in the theater classroom pretty much. And then same with high school. And it was always some version of performing. Yeah. In high school, what what kind of did plays were you doing sketches? Were you trying stand up then or was that just like the theater life? I was doing plays, but me and my friend Aaron Tongay and my friend Don Roberts and some of our other friends, Brad Bonham and um, some other people, we we were doing sketches, but we didn't know we were doing sketches necessarily. I remember we we filmed and made like a Blair Witch parody at one point, and we... We're constantly doing like weird, dumb things that were really fun and really interesting. But I don't think we realized that we were like going towards comedy necessarily. And I mean, we got, we were very into also like heavy, heavy, heavy model and drama stuff. And I like, I directed plays, won best actor at UIL for playing Charlie and Flowers for Algernon. <laughs> still, you still have your Blair Witch Project? parody still got that on vhs somewhere i wish i wish i could find this i'm sure that it's wildly offensive or like or or really bad but i would love 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 to to see it again i haven't played it yet but the last time i went to my mom's she had a vhs and it was just record i guess you know it had my writing handwriting on it and a label that just said amanda's tape and as soon as I can get a VCR up and working, I am so excited for whatever Amanda's tape has on it. Interesting. I wonder what it is. Yeah, I'll, ke- I'll keep you all posted on that because I don't know myself because I don't remember doing it. So there's a, there's a lot from childhood that my mom, because she just moved across the country from L.A. to Florida. And so she had a garage full of like my stuff that when I moved out, I was like, hold this forever. And then she's like, I'm moving across the country. You need to pick your shit up. Yeah. I found all these different, like, artworks, you know, like, high school projects, like, all these things that I don't... I mean, I did. I can tell I did it because it's my writing, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I feel like there's so many things like that. Like, that. that's such a, a part of growing up is, like, you leave a bunch of shit at your parents' house, and then, like, at a certain age, they're just like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of all of this. 
I know. And then you're like, Mom, you don't want to keep everything in like every assignment I ever did forever. And she's like, No, no, I don't. You don't. You don't want it, and it's yours. That's so fun. All right. So graduate high school, and you move to Austin proper. Do you travel anywhere? What are you, What are you doing in your life? Well, after high school, I or like towards the end of high school, I had joined. This is such a long, complicated thing. I was kind of freaking out about being gay, and I came out at like in high school, but then I it, there wasn't a roadmap, and I was having a hard time with it. And like, though I didn't experience like necessarily a shit ton of bullying, I I was still having a really hard time, and so I decided I didn't want to be gay, or I wanted to try not to, and like kind of there's also like a lot of cute guys that were going to like this youth group and like this is definitely how they suck you in but i started going a lot and like ended up meeting these guys that were in a band and then i ended up like joining this sort of like this screamo band that was kind of christian or like but they were also kind of like bad and like, like we're like scuzzy and drank and smoked and cussed. And after high school, I, I, I was in that band for like four years and I toured around the country and just stayed really busy. What was the band called? At first it was called the Kirby. And then after that, it was called widows and orphans. Widows and orphans. That's dark for a Christian screamo band. Yeah. We had issues. <laughs> and y'all saying did you have a record deal or like how are you touring yeah i mean we were relatively successful um widows and orphans has an album on spotify that we recorded uh we were on dollhouse records at first and then after that we were on blood uh what was that record label called we were we had just gotten signed to another record label and we were recording an album where we, we were signed to a new record label whenever we broke up and i can't remember what that record label was called blood and ink i think blood and ink records was the the one we were assigned to whenever we were whenever we broke up what broke y'all up a lot of stuff some people weren't into it yeah like some people weren't into it anymore i was trying to come out some people weren't getting along some people wanted to move on to like new projects or different stuff which i mean i don't think anyone that was in the band makes music anymore um, and I think that's kind of telling is like, you know, we liked it. And I think that some of the stuff we made was good. I'm like definitely proud of some of it. But I think that a lot of the people moved on to just having jobs and like families and such. I think I'm the only person in the band that's still performing in some capacity. So you don't play music at all anymore? That was just a, a blip in the radar of your life? I'm not necessarily super proficient at any instrument. Like I can noodle around on the guitar and the piano and I've like, I, you know, gave myself, uh, bought myself piano lessons in like my mid twenties because I wanted to get better, but it never really clicked all the way. So the thing I was doing in the band primarily was singing and I love to sing and I like, I like to do music. And if somebody like, you know, wants to do music or like says like, Hey, let's go hang out and like mess around with like some songs and stuff. I'm always down, but it's just not like the thing i'm doing yeah 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 i definitely definitely understand that you're in austin when did you start like what got you into stand-up i started out with improv and then after improv i moved on to doing sketch stuff more and then i kind of just started trying to do stand-up and 
it just sort of turned out that I liked all of them. And what do you like better? I don't know. I I love doing stand up. I don't know. I like all of them really. I mean, stand up stand up is often the easier one because I can do it without any without worrying about anyone else's schedule or without like like there's a way in which like not having to collaborate with somebody is freeing in a way, but I also think that there's a way in which not collaborating with somebody, you know, can like you, there's so much you don't know or you don't you you miss about what you're making or like interesting thoughts on it. So even the, when I'm doing stand up, I'm still constantly collaborating and like talking to Vanessa Gonzalez about like you know things that I'm working on or like so I don't know. Right now, stand up. Right now, stand up is like the the most forward moving for me in storytelling. Yeah, and that's the like because I'm still learning because I've been doing stand up now a couple years and story and I host a storytelling show and I have been I've have been on a couple storytelling shows myself because I've been trying to you know I think it's such an interesting format I think it's you know stand up so tight it's so like you have a structure you have to make people laugh at certain beats you have to get them you know focused on you where storytelling doesn't necessarily have to be funny or doesn't have to be sad doesn't have to be anything and it's more of a, a longer form where you, and you can go into more details and you can kind of go on tangents and then pull your you know pull your story back in you can I don't know it's it's more freeing in a way and so I've been exploring that recently and I, I and I'm very interested in in that you know yeah for sure I think that my stand-up in general borders a little bit closer to storytelling than necessarily just like bit 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 like I you know I have some jokes that can go for a whole five minutes and there's jokes within them. And I, I, I like the, the, just like the flexibility of what comedy can be and like how it can, it doesn't all have to be a hundred percent funny. Some, some comedy stuff is like pretty serious at times or like processes really heavy things, but I think it's really versatile. Yeah. And I, and I love when a comic can, can take something and, and I've talked about this on other episodes, like Margaret Cho does such an amazing job and especially, you know, before, where people really had advocates in so many different ve- like venues. Margaret Cho, in, in all of her comedy, has always made some sort of mention of the queer community and why people should let us get married or not give a fuck if we get married or, you know, just not harass people or whatever. But she'll talk about, like, her friends that have passed away if that, that were queer or have, you know, very serious issues, and then she'll bring it right back to a joke. And I think that's such a hard thing to do, but when people do it, 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 it right it's it's so beautiful for sure yeah absolutely so you were doing improv then kind of branched into sketch because you do you have a podcast yourself like what what do you what do you what have you done and i don't i don't know all the things i feel like every time i talk to you i'm like oh and michael does of course he does that of course he was in a a band of course they toured and had a record deal and of course he started these other shows and uh, yeah yeah why not? So I don't, right now I don't have a, a podcast that is running. I did a podcast for, um, we ran it for 25 episodes um, called Why Aren't You Screaming with me and Vanessa Gonzalez and Nathan Ehrman. And it was really fun. I'm probably starting another podcast soon, which is going to be um, in regards to queer film theory and sitting down to talk to different artists that I really like about um, sort of like the media and films and music videos that were influencing them and like as they were growing up. And I think that that one, when I do record it, will probably be like seasonal. So we would like record like eight to 10 episodes and then take a break and then record eight to 10 episodes and then take a break of like releasing them. But yeah, I, what, what have I done? I've done some podcasts. I used to have another podcast called Faggot Spaceship where I interviewed people. Uh, <laughs> and 
I've been in a couple movies doing all all. I was in a movie called Zero Charisma. Um, that's really really great, really wonderful. It's about a guy that's like really obsessed with D and D and gets very hurt whenever sort of like who he thinks of as like a cool nerd or like a a nerd interloper comes into his like world and he's like like a hipster nerd rather than like an actual nerd. And he kind of like has like a little bit of a breakdown. And I did that. I was in this movie with Lisa Friedrich, also another comedian, called uh, Meet Me There, which is like a horror movie that we made a couple years ago. Yeah, a couple things. I was in this movie called The Sauce, which is a movie about tech companies, but I don't know if that's out. I know we completed filming it, but I don't know if it's actually like been released. See, that's cool. I see. I didn't know you did movies. I, I told you. I'm like, oh, let me let you talk and let me let you say all the things. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, movies. <laughs> you know, it's it's actually it's nice. I have like an actual IMDb, IMDb page that I didn't have to put together for myself. And that feels nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Currently, right now, you're hosting Greetings from Queer Mountain. Um, and also Queer Film Theory, which you mentioned. Can you talk a bit about that show? Yeah, Queer Film Theory 101 is like a spinoff of Queer Mountain. John Gross and the people over at Alamo Drafthouse in Austin reached out to me and they were asking me to develop some programming for them that would be very queer focused. And so I put together a pitch for Queer Film Theory 101, which is essentially... Like sort of a tweak on the storytelling show um, where we have three or four different artists come on to the show and they present some clips or like a slideshow or different information um, about heteronormative films that were influential on their queer identity or about films that like secretly tell a queer narrative. It's really fun and we have it running in Austin and um, New York right now. And basically, yeah, it's just sort of like talking about like, hey, this film that I've always felt was like sort of gay and this is why I think it is. And so it's like films like Sister Act have been talked about, um, The Lion King for sure. Just like different sort of like popular movies. Uh, a lot of people talk about Spice World as being a gay route for them. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I love Spice World. When I was younger, like I really wanted to see it, but I was like too embarrassed to want to see it because I think I was like a little like older than I should have been. But I was babysitting, and the girls I was babysitting for were like, "What movie do you want to watch?" And then I kept pushing Spice Girls so they watched it, even though they didn't want to watch it. And then I could be like, "Oh, I watched it, but I was babysitting when I watched it." That movie's so crazy. It's it's. I think it's a, actually a really underrated comedy, kind of, but it's very screwball. It's like, you don't expect, you know, what is it, like, aliens, and I don't, you know, I was just like, I I thought it would just be this silly Spice Girls movie, and then I was like, they actually had a plot that they tried to work out. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I'd just like to take some time out to thank our sponsor, Studio. Studio wants to revolutionize the way people see headphones as not just a tech device, but also an accessory. While emphasizing their modern Scandinavian design, they also provide a product that matches the quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. They provide free worldwide shipping. And with us, with Near and Queer to My Heart, you can get a discount 15% off any purchase. Near and Queer is your discount code, all one word. Check them out, sudio.com. What got you to New York? Like, why why New York? You know, it's one of those hub places that, like, you kind of go to. Or, like, I wanted to live here at least once in my life or at some point in my life. But, you know, I 
the person that I'm seeing right now, uh, Sam Sachs, he's an author, um, and he um, had moved here, and we were doing a long distance for like a year, and so whenever it came time to leave Austin, it was just sort of an obvious choice, and I wanted to come here, and I knew that I could set up Queer Mountain and Queer Film Theory here pretty easily, and I was able to do that within like the first two months of being here and it was just sort of like a place to be and now moving to Oakland it's just sort of another opportunity to be in a place that is like sort of steeped in queer history and like just really beautiful places that that have a lot to offer yeah I was actually just out I, I did a comedy festival in San Francisco but I stayed in Oakland because I'm uh, it was a lot cheaper to do that I, I went to college out there I, I miss I get so beautiful there it was, I was just walking around. I don't do that in New Orleans. I, like I said, I don't walk around there. I actually walked around a little bit. Um, and I was like, oh, I could, I could live here again. And then my friends that still live there that I visited were like, oh yeah, no, we have a one bedroom apartment and it's 1900 a month. And I was like, okay, New Orleans it is. <laughs> yeah, I think the place that we're staying is like, is going to be like 1700 But that's like on the, that's like way on the cheap side. And I'm excited. Yeah, no, people would be like, that is a good deal. Like when I lived in New York City, I lived in, um, one year I lived on, we had like off campus, I was in school, off campus apartments. And then the second year, I'm like, I have to live like in Manhattan. I have to like, if, if this is the only time in my life when I could say I did this, I need to do it. So I found an apartment at 53rd and 7th. It was a converted living room that had no windows to the outside. And it included everything. It was 850 a month. And I got it somehow. The guy said he got four, over 400 emails for this room that had no windows to the outside. So I used to sleep like 14 hours a day sometimes because the sun, you, you know, even if you don't have your windows open, like you can feel when the sun has set and when it's risen. Like I couldn't feel any of that. So I would just sleep all the time. But I would walk down and two blocks away was Times Square. And so that was, you know, that's what you paid for. But everyone said, oh, eight fifty a month with including everything. That's so cheap. And, you know, I comes to New Orleans and they're like, oh, no, you can get a whole, you know, uh, apartment or a house, like a whole house for that. And then you'll have windows and every and doors and, you know. <laughs> I remember one yeah. time I woke up at like three in the morning and my roommate had been cooking and fell asleep. And so I just woke up to like smoke and then I freaked out because like I'm 18 floors, it's 18 floors up. I have no windows. I have nothing. Um, but luckily, I, you know, I woke up because I was right there. Um, so it, but it was just kind of a crazy thing. Like that was my life then. Um, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I got to experience, you know, New York City. Um, probably wouldn't move back there and definitely <laughs> would get windows and, and spring for that if I could. Sure. <laughs> when windows are nice, they're they're helpful for your uh your well being and sort of like it's window windows are self care really. What do you what do you miss most about Austin? The space. Um, you know, there's a lot of people there, but there's like nowhere near as many as like in New York and there's just sort of room to move around and like I think the thing that like every time you leave your house in New York, you instantly see like five hundred people. And I like that's that can be nice sometimes, but I loved that I could like walk out my door in Austin and not see anybody for several minutes if I wanted to. And, you know, I think there's a way in New York where like if you don't want to be around people, you literally have to just stay in your room. Yeah, it can get crazy. I can see. So we're FaceTiming right now. Um, I can see some tattoos. I know you're laying in bed. Um, I can see some tattoos on your arms. How many tattoos do you have? And what tattoos? Um, I have a large chest tattoo. Um, I have, I don't know, probably like 10, 10 tattoos. 
Um, not like not not that that many, but a fair amount. Um, I guess. I guess compared to people that have none, I have a lot. <laughs> I see writing on the one on your arm. That's why I was like, I'm trying to read it, but I have a lot of writing on my lower arms, and yeah, it's just like a whole bunch of like sort of like most of my tattoos I got when I was like 18, 19, and like deep, like sad, trying to figure out how to how to process being gay and i was like in this band and so they're all sort of like sad meditations on life <laughs> which is fine um and definitely i don't regret them at all but it is funny like they they're very maudlin and very like sort of like it's all very like sort of evocative of like the time of my life where i was just sort of like felt like i was completely unable to define who i was yeah and I mean, I think that that's cool to, you know, because I have four tattoos and I got them all at various times in my life where I wanted to remind myself of something. Like I have one on my wrist. It's just a, a key. And it was after my first breakup. And I wanted to remember that I cannot like the key to my happiness is inside me. And it's not like I'm not going to get it from anybody else. So I put the key right on my arm so I could be like, hey, you're the key to your happiness, your future, whatever you want to do. Like somebody else isn't going to be that key. Mm hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I try to have all these little little reminders to myself of like, hey, you did this stupid shit for a while, like stop doing it and then remind yourself to not do it again in the future. But I think that's interesting that you got your tattoos. I didn't know that you got them like around the, you know, the time you were coming out. What was the big struggle? Was it just like being different from from people or just accepting this thing that's kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, I think that I think that the struggle for me was it just I knew it was just going to be more work. And that sounds so, it was like, it's like, it's not, it feels like kind of emotionally lazy when I say it that way. But it's like, I, I was convinced that being gay was just going to be a real slog, just like a real, like moving through the muck. And it was always going to be an uphill climb. And I, I think that, you know, if in, in therapy, um, I sort of am able to articulate what my issues are around, like, finding what I want and what I'm able to do. And I'm able to kind of talk about the issue, but that doesn't mean I'm any better at, like, defining what it is I want or what I, like, who I am still. You know, I, like, I'm more settled into my personality and, like, everything, but it's not, hmm. I think I was just very afraid and unable to grab a hold of that aspect of my life and move forward with it at the time. And I think that that period of my life has had like lasting repercussions or repercussions on like how I deal with things now. And I've had to kind of like adjust in like a lot of different ways to, to unlearn things I learned during that time in my life. I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely did. I know for me for a while, I'm like, I, I just didn't even think, like I wouldn't even let myself think think about it because i'm like that's just gonna mess my like that's gonna make my life complicated it's gonna be the way people see me all the time it might make my parents disown me like i you know i i everything's so scary that i was just like i'd rather not and i'll just focus on school and sports and whatever else i was doing absolutely yeah it was like it felt like and you know now I like that it defines a large element of my life and I've kind of brought my queerness into all of my shows and like now it's sort of like it's at the forefront of what I'm doing but for a long time that's that felt awful I was one of those people that just was like 
I refuse to let this be who I am. And, and like, and then after I was, that was who I was, I was like, well, it's just an aspect of who I am. It's not who I am. And now, you know, at 32, I'm like yelling, I'm gay. Like, and just like walking on the street and like waving it in everyone's face. And it just took a long time to get there. Yeah, yeah, but it feels good, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's very nice to sort of understand oneself at least that much and sort of like be able to like put things through that filter and that that natural filter that you have. Yeah, no, because coming out for me, like once I was out and I real and especially like I always say in, in the jokes I tell, I say I got lucky because in some ways I do feel that I got lucky because I didn't have everyone in my life supported me. Like I didn't lose anybody in my life, and I do feel very very blessed if we're gonna call it that for, for that because I think that might have changed things. But when I came out and nobody gave a shit pretty much they're like all right that makes sense then i just had this new confidence and i was able to start doing stand-up and you know uh, go for jobs and just have this this confidence that before i used to be a shy kid i used to hide behind my mom i used to you know not really talk or introduce myself or i would irish goodbye every chance i had for the all you know and now i have this like confidence in everything i do I think it all attributes to like basically having this secret that I didn't know I had or that I did know I had that I didn't know how to deal with and then just having it out there and just, you know, being done done with the hiding. Yeah, and that's like kind of, you know, I mean, now that that that's sort of become the whole point of Queer Mountain for me is sort of like this I this very not only is it not are we not hiding who we are, we're going to tell you intimate details of stories in our lives and like kind of share it with a community. And I think that that's so important. That's sort of why I want it to be I want there to be a Queer Mountain in, you know, every major city and so there's a place that people can go to hear other queer people tell stories or like to tell stories themselves and it feels it feels very necessary because i feel like so much so often our stories are either repackaged by straight people or like to like sell or they're just removed and not part of the narrative at all i mean even today our primary source of like queerness on tv is what like rupaul's drag race will and grace and queer eye for the straight guy and there's not really anything real in any of those like you know there's an element where like you can you can say very positive things about drag race but you can also say really negative ones and it's also like a little exploitive in a way and then like you know will and grace is primarily written and produced by straight people and you know again queer eye for the straight guy is another one where it's just sort of like it's a character, it's sort of like a big production of being gay. And I think that it's really important to just hear stories from people and just have queer, hear it from the queer horse's mouth, if you will. So in the one in, in New Orleans, what I tell performer or when I'm asking performers or when people are asking me to perform for Greetings from Queer Mountain, I, t- I make sure that they identify as queer. And I don't ask them like how, what type of queer, any of that. I just I, I need them to identify as queer in some way, shape, or form in order to perform. Is that something that you've carried in Austin and New York and will carry in uh, San Francisco Bay Area? Or do you have another process for that? Or is, you know, how do you see that stage? I try not to, like, you know, audit someone's experience for sure. But I do, like, I mean, I think people understand what it is. And, like, you know, so we don't have 
we don't have straight people on the show. We've we've had people on that want to talk about their experience with queerness that have never had a queer relationship. Um, and some people would argue that that isn't queer, which I kind of disagree with, um, because like we've had people come on to talk about like sort of their experience with their identity or with like their fantasies or with sort of like what was going on internally with themselves that they weren't able to actualize in their in their lives so i've definitely had like some friends come on that have always identified as being bisexual but have not been in a bisexual relationship or pursued it and a lot of people will be like that's just to be cool. And I'm like, mm, I understand what you're saying, but I think that with these specific people, it's more nuanced with that than that. And I think that like leaving room for people's queerness to be vast and different is important. But I mean, I don't know. Everyone has different feelings about it. And I think that I, I, what I try to do is I try to not have two people on each show that have too similar of an experience or like a cultural background. And so, you know, keeping it very diverse, I try not to book more than two, you know, cis white men try, try to like think about ability and age whenever I'm booking, um, which is harder sometimes because there's not no, no there's not a lot of performers are normally on the younger side. But then I try to like, I, I try to make sure that we're acknowledging, you know, all of the letters of the acronym and bringing on like, you know, uh, trans people and and GNC like gender nonconforming people and asexual people. Some of my favorite times on the show is having sort of a person that identifies as asexual or aromantic talking about what their experience is and like sort of like letting people know that I'm like I'm not lonely, I'm not sad, I'm not like a broken person. I just am asexual or aromantic and I have no interest in romantic love or companionship in that way and I'm okay and having someone come up and talk about that in a way that was like easy to understand I felt like was so important because that's an aspect of queerness that I really didn't understand yeah yeah and that's what that's what I like to like when I have performers that say something and I'm like I didn't think about that or like I didn't know about that experience and that's that's amazing we've gotten some like not backlash, but I've I've gotten a few messages or people talk to me after shows when we have someone who identifies as pansexual or bisexual or in some way where they do have at times heteronormative relationships. You know, like a this specifically one woman who identifies as bisexual and she's currently dating a cisgendered man and um, w- told a story. The story wasn't about their relationship specifically, but it did mention that she had a boyfriend. And I got like a couple messages after that about like, why would you have her on the show? And so now sometimes on shows, I, in my little intro, I will say like, it's, you know, this is a queer stage and there are folks who identify in, in different ways, you know. And then I kind of go back and forth of like, do I need this disclaimer? Uh, or am I just like too scared? Because I should just be like, hey, if people want to talk to you, I'm glad they feel free. Glad that if people have concerns or thoughts or, you know, anything about the show that they do feel comfortable enough to share with me. But do, you know, do I need a preface? Do I need an explanation? Or I don't know. I was just wondering if you've dealt with that or had any thoughts on that. I mean, yeah, we've had issues for sure that have come up. On your front, I mean, I think that gatekeeping is very dangerous. And I I understand why gatekeeping happens sometimes. And you know you want to know that someone's legit and you don't don't want someone to be sort of a tourist and queer spaces that are built for, like, people to feel safe and comfortable. But at the same time, I... And I can can speak to this, and I'm speaking from this from, like, a point of relative uh, privilege as, like, a cis white man. But I, I think that... 
when we can invite people into our spaces and we're not like really stringent about like, are you experiencing the exact same thing I'm experiencing? I think it's wonderful to like leave that door open and be like, because I mean, biphobia and being critical of bisexual people or people that experience their queerness and like a less strict box way. I think those people get shit all the time and it makes them want to express that side of themselves less and less. And I think that's what creates a lot of like, you know, closeted people is that they're like, I felt like I w- wouldn't be welcome in the, in, in any of these queer spaces because I wasn't queer enough or I wasn't like checking all the boxes. And I think that's a problem. Now, granted, you know, if these people don't want or like didn't like the story, cool. Or if these people felt complicated about it, they should probably speak to the speaker. We have this weird thing where, especially in the queer community, we kind of pull like this, like, I want to speak to the manager thing a lot. And I understand it. But like the people that run shows, whenever we invite other people on the show, we cannot control every element of who they are. And it would be creepy if we could. And if if someone on the show says something really fucked up, we can always not have them back. But we can't vet up and down every single thing that someone's going to talk about and it's it's a weird way to run a show where it's too stringent now i mean you've seen before like i have like we put together that queer mountain sort of like safety policy that we like you know we ask our people to avoid you know uh sex shaming and body shaming and all of these different things and we kind of like give our performers that beforehand but really that's the only thing you can do about it i i think that otherwise we have to leave an open door to different people with different experiences and different ways of speaking about their experiences because it's just it's not up to all of us as an audience member or as a host to define exactly how someone lives and how they're going to talk about it. And I guess like I've definitely in New York, I've definitely had issues with the way that people have said things before come up and I try to address them. But I think that's something we always need to keep in mind in these sort of shows is make sure that whenever we're critiquing the way that someone speaks or criticizing it or talking about like that made me uncomfortable. We often I think have to make sure we're not coming from a place also of privilege or coming from a place of whiteness or coming from a place of expecting someone to handle themselves with a certain amount of like respectability because i think that people come from different places and people say things about their lives in different ways and you should feel comfortable talking to them about it but be careful sometimes whenever you're like all of a sudden deciding that you're like fuck this person i didn't like what they said and it's like you i think sometimes we can come into those situations being deeply in the wrong and i think people need to remember that Yeah, definitely. And I always tell people, and it's true, I don't ask the performers, you know, I give them no parameters as far as what what their story, I don't like, hey, what's your story and have them like write it out. But I want them to be as free. And I tell them the only parameter they really have is that we do have a time limit. They can't go on all day. But I really want people to be open in that space and to feel like they can share everything. And so I think, yeah, I agree. Like, I don't want to be a gatekeeper. But I get in that because I want to make sure that the person who's sharing their life, you know, they're getting up there. And we've had some very, deep things share that I want that person to feel comfortable in that space doing that. Yeah. I mean, I think that everyone has a right to feel safe and feel like they can come to a safe place. But I think that sometimes something will hit a nerve or something will offend you. And I think that sometimes, yes, a storyteller can say something very inappropriate or shitty and we can address that. But I think that people, when possible, you know, I want to I want us to be creating spaces where people feel comfortable talking to a storyteller about something that, you know, made them uncomfortable or and like i'm glad that people feel comfortable talking to us about it but 
I think that we need to stop looking at things as like, we got to fix this person or we got to like, this person absolutely has to know that what they said made me feel this way whenever we can approach it in another way where it's like, I want to let this person know, or I want to let these people know that this affected me. And I know that there's not necessarily a solution for it, but I want us to talk about it. And I think that's very different because I think that sometimes I just, I don't like it whenever it becomes, I want to speak with the manager. Uh, you know, I want it to be like, I want it, I want you to know, or I want to let you know that this happened rather than like, what are you going to do about my feelings? And cause sometimes it's like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. About, I, I, there's so little that I can do about your feelings, except for say, I'm sorry that, that, that you felt strangely about this, you know, I'll keep it in mind. And like, I'm open to talking about it. Yeah, well, thank you, Michael, so much for talking with us. Um, can you, where can we find you? Where can people know more about Michael? Michael Folk, M-I-C-H-E-A-L-F-O-U-L-K. That's uh, my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle. My website is michaelfolk.com. And then you can check out more about all the all the queer shows at greetingsfromqueermountain.com. Those are both Squarespace websites. Squarespace, thank you. And yeah, I'm all over the place. Michael, thank you so much for being here. All right. Love you. Proud of you. Goodbye. Up next is one of my really good friends. Uh, he hosts a monthly show, Greetings from Queer Mountain at Housing Works. Uh, so give it up for Michael Folk. <laughs> Keep it going for everyone you've seen so far. And also, keep it going for the lumens in this room. Damn. Y'all know about lumens? It's a measurement of light. I got perfect lumens. Uh, some people got perfect pitch. These are about eight, 870, just so you know. <laughs> just letting you know. It's, it's, it's really good lumen. Uh, I'm gay. Um, aggressively so. Um, I am, uh, I, I, I am, I had a traditional upbringing though. I grew up in central Texas. Um, and then I started sleeping with older men and I freaked out. <laughs> and then I joined a Christian metal band, as you do. Um, and now I'm the noisiest bottom in Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a real eat, pray, love sort of storyline. <laughs> I'm at the eating part. It doesn't have to be in the same order. I am a little new to Brooklyn. I'm a new to New York. Um, I did experience my first New York bigot. So I live here. <laughs> I was out walking with my boyfriend, and we were doing our favorite thing to do after meals. This is my gift to you. Um, in order to get through the hard city life, what you do is when you're walking around, every time you see a dog... You give it a first and a last name and a job. <laughs> it's so much fucking fun, y'all. City's hard. Give those dog jobs. <laughs> it's really good. So we were just out employing dogs left and right, just sort of being like this, going through the city. And as we were stepping off of the crosswalk onto the sidewalk, as one does, an SUV full of bros drove by, and this guy leaned out the window and screamed, Can you walk any slower, faggots? And of course I went, oh. And then I thought, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> 
I can walk a myriad speeds. <laughs> Do you think gay people only have the one setting? <laughs> we have one pace that we can move? No, we have generous gait, slow gait. We can walk like this. Oh, my God. And then I also thought, bigotry's weird when it's combined with a question, no? <laughs> Because maybe they're just looking to be educated. <laughs> maybe that guy was like, you know what? I'm pretty fucking ignorant. I wonder if these faggots can walk slow or not. <laughs> also, you know, you could just call me faggot. I'll get a boner either way. <laughs> it was hot for me. I do have a boyfriend now, bragging. Uh, but when I was younger, I had really bad taste in men. Um, in my early 20s, if I can describe my taste in any way. Um, okay, you know the Olympics, right? Okay, and so at the, the Olympics, they build the Olympic Village, and it's like this big deal. And then, but then the Olympics leave, and then the Olympic Village kind of goes to seed, and nature takes back over. That's my type of guy in my 20s. <laughs> Like, I liked a guy where it looked like something really special happened there a long time ago. <laughs> right? Like, you can still see it, but you're like, damn, what happened? <laughs> that was my ideal man. Um, I liked it to be like, if I unzipped a man's pants, a raccoon was going to jump out. <laughs> So this, that was what I was into. Not anymore so much. Uh, I, I have a really cool boyfriend. I finally kind of found a boyfriend who was smart and jacked, like my original crush, Donatello. <laughs> of the New York Ninja Turtles. Um, not the Renaissance artist. <laughs> you know. Um, Donatello, I know, I get it. Like, he's an anthropomorphized cartoon turtle. Get off my back! Uh, he was jacked, though. His body was slamming, okay? You normally have to choose between jacked and smart. Not with Donatello. Like, he takes care of his body, yaddy, yaddy, but he also knows how to, like, invent a drone that delivers pizza. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Also, there's a lot of reasons not to date the other Ninja Turtles. First off, I'm not in my splinter phase yet. I'll get there. I know myself. At some point in my life, I will have sex with an old rat in the sewer. <laughs> I don't have illusions of grandeur. I know where I'm going to end up. <laughs> also, I don't know. Like, Raphael is more like the kind of guy that you do date in your 20s. Like, he's jacked, but he always forgets your safe word, even though it's cowabunga. <laughs> You're an asshole. You say it with your friends all the time. <laughs> Leonardo's the kind of guy that wants to schedule sex and he calls it training. <laughs> Super bossy. I don't want to train at five, Leo. <laughs> it's got to be spontaneous. Michelangelo, he's silly. He's like eating your butt and then he blows a raspberry on it. What a loser. Nobody wants a raspberry blown on their butt. Just kidding, you do. It feels amazing, okay? It's 2018 and the world is on fire. Get into analingus before it's punishable by death. <laughs>
Look to your left, look to your right, let one of these people eat your butt tonight. I'm a poet, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got to get out of here, but I do want to leave you with this. I am trying to take care of my body because the world is cruel, and I've been eating more Greek yogurt. That shit's just lotion, right? <laughs> and the wool has been pulled over our collective eyes. It's just some sunscreen in a jug. <laughs> Think about it, sheeple. I'm Michael Folk. Thank you! <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to our sponsor studio thank you to our guest michael folk for sharing his world with you special thanks to jessa fallon and ryan golub for your help editing and producing the show thanks to all our friends and supporters you can catch greetings from queer mountain live in new orleans austin and new york city check out our facebook page for more information find us on facebook near and queer to my heart or instagram near and queer to my heart thank you all good night or goodbye or good morning Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.